Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brennan will be teaching out of the book of Romans. All right, well, let's jump into the word here this morning. We'll be a little bit more brief today. And we're continuing our study in Romans here this morning in Romans chapter 15. And I think it's actually quite fitting where we are at. We'll pick up in Romans chapter 15, verse 14. And here, this means really that, that we're, we're nearing the close of our study in Romans, hard to believe. And, and Lord willing, we'll wrap up this study next Sunday, actually. We'll bring it to a conclusion And here, as I mentioned this morning, I think as the Lord would have it, we're in a a pretty fitting passage uh, as it pertains to the things we've already discussed and considered here this morning as we consider the ministry of the 10th Hour Project. It fits well into this passage here today. Uh, you've, You've heard a little bit here this morning about the 10th Hour Project, and in particular, uh, a big part of the ministry is to disciple right? Disciple young adults into following Jesus. Um, But when we consider the the core of what they do as has been alluded to here, it's just a part of their language. It's a part of what they do. We know that it's about living life on mission. It's about evangelism. It's about telling people about Jesus. And so, yes, it is a ministry to young adults to disciple them and ground them in their faith. But there should be an outpouring of that, as Christian well stated. If you love Jesus, if you come to the place where you know that you trust him and believe him, well, then a good measure of that is going to be, am I telling other people? people about that, right? And the fact is for every believer, young or old, who is considering what God wants for their life, no matter the path, as as they often say, whether plumber or preacher, it's to be on mission for Jesus. Telling the world about him, that's our call. The great commandment is to love God and love others. And the great commission is to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. God wants to use every one of us to accomplish this work in this way. The more we seek him, the more our hearts are shaped to this work. And and so as I've mentioned, it's fitting here as we now look to the second half of chapter 15, because Paul here gives us a window into that very heart. As the Lord shapes your heart and gives you a heart for evangelism, for missions, which is a heart that all believers should have, Paul here in this, in this passage really gives us insight into what are those characteristics? What, what should my heart look like as it relates to these things? And therefore, in the remaining time we have here this morning, we'll consider uh, what I would title, as many others have as well here in Romans 15 verses 14 through 33, Paul's missionary heart. And as we do this, we'll see, I believe, how how this should be our heart also. And and over the last few weeks, the last three weeks, we've considered nine essentials for maintaining unity in a diverse church. Paul closes out really his letter with that final argument. And now here, as he starts to, to just bring the entire letter to a close, we'll see five, if you're taking notes today, you'll see five characteristics of a mission's focused heart. Let's begin here again in verse 14 and 15. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you, 
because of the grace given to me by God. If you would, just agree with me in prayer once more. Father, as we pause here once again and look to your word, we ask, Lord, that you would bless our time in it here this morning. Lord, by your spirit, give us understanding and help us to make, Lord, application in our lives. Such, Lord, that we could leave this place changed, transformed, and ready, Lord, for what you have for us in the the days and the weeks ahead. We thank you, Lord, for your kindness towards us. We ask for your blessing upon our study, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So right away here, in these first two verses of this section, we see our first characteristic, and that would be this, that we have an appreciation for the function of the corporate church. So again, five characteristics of a missions-focused heart. The first one would be that we have an appreciation for the function of the corporate church. Christian, we, we must see the value in his church and the necessity of gathering together so that we may be able to, as Paul says here, admonish one another and to be reminded of necessary truths. Paul here, as he has laid out this incredible argument before this church, really from the beginning of Romans, is now starting to summarize everything, to bring it all to a close. And he's saying, in effect, I know that you know so many of these things. But I'm challenging you on this. I'm seeing the importance of you being reminded of these truths. That's what we're to do amongst the body of Christ. To remind one another of the truth. You've been reminded already this morning. Jesus loves you. Christian said that may seem like an elementary truth. And it is. It's what you've been told if you've been in the church from the very beginning. But it's a truth that is foundational. That we're to be reminded of. Every moment of every day for our entire existence on this earth. And the more time that God's people spend in his word, that they spend walking with him, the more we should know. But we never get to a place where we don't need reminded of those things. The gathering of the believers should in large part be just that. Not a social function alone, but koinonia. Intimate fellowship where we remind one another of the foundations of our faith, of the imperatives of our walk with Christ. When we go solo, we forget very quickly the life-changing, life-giving truths of the word of God. Peter writes similarly in 2 Peter in chapter 1 verses 12 and 13. He says, for this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Though you know and are established in the present truth... Yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent, in this body, he says, to stir you up by reminding you. The truths of the faith must always be in front of us. And you have a responsibility, Christian, as you come together in the gathering to remind people of these truths. Sometimes I think we, we consider it uh, maybe not the, the right thing to say or we look for oftentimes words that that maybe seem to us to be more profound, especially when a brother or sister is struggling. We don't want to dismiss their problems and, and certainly, no, we, we don't. But, but oftentimes the very thing that someone needs reminded of when they're in the trial is, God knows. God loves you. God's in control. He cares about you. Those simple truths. And so if we have a missionary heart, a heart like Paul, we'll appreciate what happens amongst the gathering of the believers. Verse 16, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ 
to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul writes here, connecting it back to verse 15, he's really saying, I've written more boldly to you because of the grace of God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ. Now, there's much that I could pull out here of verse 16. We don't have the time to do this this morning. What I would focus on here is this word minister. It's an important word that Paul chooses to use here. It gives us insight because this is the word. It's the Greek word liturgon, which is the word from which we get liturgy, which for Paul here means that he views his role as sacred and as priestly. Paul could have used the words that he commonly uses elsewhere. He could have referred to himself as a servant. He could have referred to himself as a slave. But here, as he lends insight into his missionary heart, we see that he views his role as entirely sacred. And so should we. Christian, do you know what God has made you? If you are here today and you consider yourself, you profess to be a believer in Jesus Christ, and that is true, you must understand that you have been set apart for a sacred purpose. We considered last week uh, in, in the summary that I did at the end of the message, we considered in part Israel's encounter with God there at the foot of Mount Sinai. And this was that place where God finally with his people, his nation Israel before him, was entering now into a covenant relationship with them. It wasn't simply about Abraham and his line, but here now the entire nation. And he said to them, I will make you a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And we are a part of that same covenant. Peter writes in chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9, he says, this is about you Christian, that you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Isn't that incredible? What do you do for a living? You're at liberty to say, oh I'm a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation set apart. You might not. You, you, some of you aren't going to do that. You're like, no, I'm not going to tell people that. <laughs> That's who you are. What was the function of the priest? To teach the law and to bring God to the people and the people to God. And he says, you're a priest, a holy priesthood. Do you know, friends, that your life and your purpose is sacred, that you are to be holy, and that means different, set apart. Do you think it's strange how there is such a tendency for us to want to be the same as everybody else? To look at the world and to just want to fit in with it? But that is, in many respects, our natural tendency. But we're called to be different, to be set apart. And so the second characteristic this morning of a missionary heart is that we have a sacred purpose. And we know it. A story is told of D.L. Moody, once a, a shoe salesman who became one of the most effective soul winners for Christ of, of all time. And it, it says that he purposed in his heart as a young man that he would never let a day go by wherein he did not talk to at least one 
person about Jesus. And one night, it said, it was approaching midnight, and because of the events of the day, he had not yet shared the gospel with an unbeliever. And so he went out onto the streets of Chicago, searching for someone, and he found a man, and he said, Sir, are you ready for heaven? And the man replied, Mind your own business. To which Moody answered, This is my business. It's our business, Christian. Who do you work for? God. What's your mission? What's your purpose? I'm a holy priesthood set apart to bring light into darkness. Sacred purpose. Verse 17, therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus and the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem and roundabout to Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. I love the boldness here of the Apostle Paul. I love the the fact that he can say with confidence I have fully preached the gospel. But what we see here in this statement that he makes, it gives us the the third characteristic here this morning, and that is we glory only in Christ Jesus. Paul said, I am only going to talk about what Jesus has done. And that's all we need to talk about. Listen, do you want your words, the things that you say to have meaning? Do you want your words to bring life? Do you want your life to mean something, to have an impact? The right answer would be yes. This will be true insofar as your words and your actions are about Jesus. All the other stuff will pass away. Martin Luther once said, we preach always him. This may seem a limited and monotonous subject, likely to be soon exhausted, but we are never at the end of it. We never run out of Jesus. We never run out. We never get to a place where we say, well, that's all I can say about that. <laughs> you ever found yourself amongst a group of, of believers and, and you begin to talk about the word and you talk about Jesus and you just find yourself in a spot where you say, I could, we could just go on and on and on. We, we never get to the end of it. It's every Monday with Ian. He often said, I wish we could just stay and talk more about Amen to that, brother. It's been joked around a good bit lately that I have the job of just cutting people off, right? Okay, guys, I guess we got to just end it here, right? Every Sunday, guys, we would have been here all week if I didn't get cut off last Sunday, right? This is the beauty of our relationship with him. Other subjects, every other subject, you find a place where you go, I just, I don't, I don't think I can talk about this anymore. Not Jesus. Paul writes elsewhere in Galatians in chapter 6 verse 14. He says, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom the the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Or in 1 Corinthians in chapter 2 verse 2. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul says to us, only Jesus, friends. Only him. Verse 20, and so... I have made it my aim 
to preach the gospel. Not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see. And those who have not heard shall understand. It's been said here that that Paul reveals to us in this moment his holy ambition. Paul here has identified his passion in life. Tony Merida, pastor of Imago Dei Church, writes, To have a holy ambition means to have a Christ-centered cause controlling your life, controlling your decision-making and your interests. The right kind of ambition is on driven by the gospel and a heart for people. The great commission and the great commandment should drive believers' lives. Should drive our lives. What drives your life, Christian? What motivates you? What gets you going? As we've considered over the past few weeks, far too often what drives us is not a Christ-centered passion, but a self-centered passion. The religion of self that's sweeping through the world. But I would tell you this much, as, as much as I mentioned last week, the various statistics that, that show us that people are indeed trusting in self more and more and more. The very statistics that would suggest to us that, that Christianity is, is soon dead and, and not alive amongst the next generation. That's one of those reasons why I love the 10th hour because you this morning have witnessed another generation that says, I love Jesus. I don't need those statistics to suggest to me that Our faith is gone and done and over with. There is always a remnant. God is bigger than all of those things. But are we passionate about him? You see, to have a missionary heart is to, number four here this morning, to have a godly vision or ambition. Do you have a godly ambition? Paul writes in Ephesians in chapter 2 verse 10, For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What are the good works that God prepared beforehand for you to walk in? What are they? And, and, and so often I think we, we look at other people and we say, well, well they seem to be doing good things. Maybe I, should, maybe I should walk in those good works or Maybe I don't have anything that God has created me for. And no, that's, that's in, that runs in entirely counter to what his word says. The fact of the matter is each and every one of you has been made in the image of God. He knew you before he formed you in your mother's womb. Your days have already been numbered, already been appointed. And so that means for you specifically as an individual and then yes, for us corporately, the entire body coming together, he has said, I've created you with purpose, with value to use you for my glory. And what is it? What is he calling you to? What has he created you to do? What are the desires in your heart? Your dreams, are they from him? from you. See, the word says that he'll give you the desires of your heart. I believe that, that that means that he will put those desires into your heart if you'll allow him. It is you surrender your life to him and in view of his mercy, I might add, Romans 12, 1 and 2. We haven't gone back there in a moment. 
It's good to have a little reminder every now and then, right? That you what? Offer your body, living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to him. You should say, Lord, my life is not my own. It belongs to you. God, would you give me the desires of my heart? Lord, you point me in the right direction. Lord, you show me what you want for my life. I'm surrendered. I don't want my, my goals anymore, my dreams, my aspirations. Lord, I set those all aside. I want what you have for me. Lord, you begin to put those things there. And he begins to give you a godly passion and an ambition for the things of him. And look, maybe it's like Paul and you preach the gospel from Jerusalem to Illyricum. 1,400 miles of preaching. You wore through some sandals, no doubt. Preaching and teaching, saying, look, I'm not going to go anywhere where another man's laid a foundation. I want to go to people who don't know, people who haven't heard. And so there are some of you here this morning, you say, I want to go to the ends of the earth. I want to go to these places that that people haven't gone into, these places that have been abandoned. If that's the, the ambition that the Lord's given you, go after it. But don't you dare minimize the work that the Lord may want to do in your life if you feel like, well, I'm not called to, to go to the, 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 the deepest jungles in the world. Maybe for you, it's even in this week, opening up your home and saying, I'm going to bring a family into my home and set them around my table. I'm going to have dinner with them and share the word of God with them. And give of my resources sacrificially. Maybe it's you saying, I'm going to teach Sunday school today and I am going to do it well. I'm going to go into it with, with, with all of the, the, the effort and the energy that I, can, that I can muster up and lay that all before the Lord and just say, Lord, I want to do this for you. I want to do it well. I want to plant seeds of truth. Lord, this is what you called me to do. There's nothing too big or too small that God can't use for his glory. Amen. As Pastor Dave shared, if you're an, an employee in the workplace, you're not just there just to get a paycheck. The Lord wants to use you there. So stop and pray with someone, even though in the workplace you're, you're, you're maybe not supposed to do that. But you're thinking, man, I'm going to bring light into this dark place. Do you have vision for where God has you? Do you dream big dreams? God-sized dreams. Paul did. Verse 22 and following, for this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you. But now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. If first I may enjoy your company for a while. But now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. If you didn't pick up on it here, Paul wanted to go to Spain. Maybe some of you do as well. He wanted to go there and beyond. And to visit these churches and to say, I want to stop in Rome and see you on the way. And you know, there's no evidence that suggests to us that he ever made it. But his vision kept him going. His desire kept him going. Kent Hughes writes something very powerful of this, I believe. He says this, that the value of a dream is not whether we achieve it or not, but in setting out to achieve it. He says to us, arrival is everything. But to God, the journey is most important. For it is in the journey that we are perfected. 
And it is in the hardships that he is glorified as we trust him. What's your godly vision, your ambition or dream? Are you considering how he might use you to change your family or to change your school or your community or your city or your country or the the world? Start dreaming for him and, and set out on that journey. And know that when it's fulfilled, when it's realized, it will bring with it, as Paul says, the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. It will be for his glory. Paul writes verse 30, Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. Strive together with me in prayers. This is the Greek word, sunagonizomai. Bless you. Right? It means agonize with me in prayer. <laughs> you ever ask somebody that? Could you agonize in prayer with me? Thus, our fifth and final characteristic of a missionary heart this morning is we recognize the power of prayer. So much so that we will agonize in it with others. Paul wasn't just saying, hey, heads up, would you, I'm going to do this. Would you pray for me? I'll pray for you. No problem. And he's saying, look, this is what I believe God has called me to do. I need you to labor with me in this. Inherent within this was the understanding that this will avail much. I need your prayers. What did Paul want prayer for? Three things. Verse 31. And one, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe. Two, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. And three, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and be refreshed together with you. He closes saying, now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Were Paul's prayers answered? Was he delivered and protected? We know that on the way he was stoned nearly to death. Was he received well? No indication is given that he was warmly received for risking his life to deliver this aid. Did he come in joy to them in Rome? The only thing we know is that he arrived there as a prisoner and perhaps never made it to Spain. What are you saying? You said prayer was important. Has God not answered prayers? We know this much as well of the Apostle Paul that in the very last words that he penned, at least those that we have, in 2 Timothy in chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, he said... I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. I'd say his prayers were answered, albeit not always the way he likely expected. He knew full well that God was finishing what he had started, that God was faithful. And so he is, Christian. He's faithful. Therefore, We surrender our lives to Him. We seek to have hearts that desire to be used by Him and for Him. To have missionary hearts. Because every believer is. Far too often in the church, we are too comfortable to say, this person's a missionary. We put them on our wall or we send monthly support and indeed they are. But every one of us has been given a mission. We're a people called by God to be on mission for God. Each and every one of us. And God is at work today. He is always at work. The question is, will we join him in that 
work? Will you be a part of the family business? Will you see the value of his church and its function in our lives? Will we see the sacred purpose that we have, that we are a royal priesthood, holy and set apart? Will we seek to glorify Christ alone in our words and our actions? Will we dream big dreams for God and have a holy ambition for Him? And will we recognize in all of that the power of prayer in our lives, agonizing in it, willing to let Him work however He may will? If we will, we'll be well on our way to having our own missionary heart where our lives can be used for His glory as He intended. Amen? If you would, just agree with me in prayer. Father, we give you thanks once again here this morning, Lord, for our time together. What a joy, Lord, it's been. A privilege, Lord, to be together as the body of Christ as we've considered here today. To hear of testimony of how you're working in one's life, Lord. To to worship together, to lift our voices to you in song. And to consider your word, Lord, and by your spirit apply it to our lives. Help us to do just that here today. To take these words, to receive them, to apply them. To say, Lord, I want my heart to mirror that of the Apostle Paul. Lord, I want to have a heart for you and for others. A missionary heart that recognizes, Lord, what you called me to. So, Lord, do that work in us, Lord, and through us, I pray. Lord, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week. So make sure that you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.